Hello, everyone. Oh, it's so lovely to be back. I hope you're all well and are enjoying all the lovely spring flowers that are coming out. It's so exciting that we've actually got through the winter and hopefully. <laughs> anyway, I'm very excited because we've got this new season starting. I've got some fabulous guests lined up and my first one is fabulous. She's a really, really brilliant lady. She's a comedian, an actress, a singer, a dancer, a writer. Gosh, she can do anything. And she's so lovely and she's a dear friend and I'm thrilled to be talking to her. I'm sure we're going to have a few laughs. It is the brilliant Tracy Ullman. Oh, Tracy, this is really lovely. I saw you last week without yeah. the babies, and now I'm chatting to you. How are you? I'm good, darling. We had such a lovely visit Wasn't last week. Wasn't it lovely? It was it so was lovely. lovely to see our kids, who are now grown up, and, the, and their little babies, yeah. and, um, and see each other. We hadn't seen each other for a, a while. And us enjoying being grandmothers so much. I know. It's quite an extraordinary um, person to be, actually. I knew when Carly got pregnant, I knew I'd love being a grandmother, but I didn't know the depth of the love. Did, mm. you, did you Did you realise how amazing no. it was going to be? and people tell you, don't they? Yeah. And they say that classic thing, oh, you can hand them back at the end of the day. You know, like all it is about is getting a good night's sleep with a child. And if you can't sleep, you're like, you know, but it's not that really. No. I mean, it's like, because they sleep over with me and I don't know. I mean, it's a tough not to get your sleep, isn't it? Yeah. But it's just, you're more relaxed, aren't you? And you just look at them and you see your own child in them. Absolutely. And... Elijah is now becoming so like Mabel because Elijah's three. Yeah, I Mabel, didn't. I didn't actually see him. He was at nursery, wasn't he? Yeah, you didn't see him. I just saw the bubba. I mean, Mabel was a menopausal toddler. <laughs> she was like, she came out an old soul. Yeah, she was <laughs> an old. The... She was an old soul because I can remember when we hung out a lot in it. We both, for our listeners, that we both lived in LA at the same time for a few years, didn't we? Yeah. So my daughter Carly and your daughter Mabel, who's about six years younger than Carly, yes. they became great buddies, didn't they? So we used to, I used to bring Carly over to play and vice versa. But yeah. but Mark, Mabel was always so grown up and so. Well, didn't she decide to go off to um, the same school Carly went to in England when you? You gave me school advice. Both schools that Mabel attended, you recommended. She wanted to go where Carly went, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> and she wanted to go to boarding school. Um, Which was a hugely grown-up decision at, what, age yeah. 12, wasn't she? Yeah, I think she was like 13 and she was living yeah. in Los Angeles. You know, people think it's the dream, you know, playing volleyball and in the <laughs> sunshine and... And everybody talking like this, and oh, your baby, and that baby, we're so cute together, you know. And Mabel used to do this voice, and she was on the phone to her friends, like, get your butt over here. And then she'd get off the telephone, she'd go, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> I can't do this voice. And because she was sort of so English, because me and Alan, you know, my late husband, you knew so well, is so know. English. And she just felt really English, always. And she said, I, I, I want to live in England in a flat and have a cat and work in the Houses of Parliament. 
and it's what she did. <laughs> she and did. then she was obsessed with Carly going to a boarding school in England and you, you introduced us to them and um, they said, we don't have a place for you, but if we do, we'll let you know. And um, they rang up and said, oh, you can join in January. And uh, Mabel said, I'm going, I'm going, punched the air. And I oh. took her to England in January, freezing cold and drove her to the school. You remember, you know, I and do. she shared a room with seven girls. And uh, I remember driving home and parking in a lay-by <laughs> crying. And I <laughs> oh, got I back, did, I, did I thought, oh, she'll call me and say, I've made a huge mistake. And she called me and said, this is fantastic. And then <laughs> she just loved it and she's become a governor at the school now she's i know really... you told me that yeah. well, it, it was um an amazing school it is a wonderful school bryanston it's a brilliant school it was the making of it thank you for your advice well you know again i i went through the same emotions of as you you know how close carly and i are and you know and then yeah. we came back from america when she was she was a bit young uh, older than mabel because we came back and she was about 15 and i rang her old headmistress of her primary school because she'd been at school in LA for a few years and I said you know where do you think she'd fit in having done three four years in America and she said there's one school for Carly and it's Bryanston and um, she rang the headmaster and we went for an interview and again Carly had the I mean she was a bit older but she did have the best like four years there it was brilliant but you were still living you were still living in LA then, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, but we lived there, and you know, we came. She came and went. Mabel, she's very independent. Yeah, girls, she is. very independent girl. Has done what she wanted to do. And now, you know, as we say, with her own children. I know. And you can, when you see Elijah saying, "I'm not wearing that. I'm not <laughs> eating that. I don't want to go there." I know that you're like, "Yeah, this is remember what I went through. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to eat anything but yellow food." Yep, I remember that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, oh, it's just but, a joy. you know, we're very blessed and lucky. We are very, them. very lucky. We are. And to give them choices as to where they wanted to go, I always respected my kids' opinion, you know. You know, most people would have thought, especially in England, think, oh, lucky girl living in LA and all the sunshine and the beaches. And, and yet she chose to come back here to school and, and to live here, really. It wasn't her. To be a teenager in a place where you can't get on a bus or get on a yeah. tube, or there's no independence there. It's no, a bit, that's true. And it's fun if you like it, but she, it was never for her. And every time she came to England, she'd say, well, I can do more here and I feel more grown up here. She loves the place now. Do you miss LA? I go there so much. Um, I just it was there last year for a long time doing Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh. So, yeah. I lived there for 30 years. 30 was it 30 yes i married there in 83 wow um i didn't realize you spent a lot of time there i was there on and i was there in the early 70s with carly's dad Mm. and then that ended and um i was in new york and then i came back to london that's when i met lee so we kind Mm. of based ourselves here but i didn't realize you were there for 30 years that's yeah, amazing and I, I love the place you know it's gave me great opportunities and alan my husband always loved it and uh, he loved it he loved didn't it he? yeah well uh, listen the two of you as a team because just to explain alan was your husband and also you were you know you were a team in producing your 
amazing shows, right? We loved it. Oh. I'm doing the thing you're supposed to do on Twiggy's podcast. I'm drinking tea. <laughs> Good, I'm and glad listeners, I'm in that position where I am at a nice polished wood table with a hot teapot in need <laughs> of a coaster. In need of an acceptable coaster. Hang on. Oh, yeah, don't put your teapot on your wood. It'll bugger it up. I know. What, what tea are you drinking? I'm obsessed with Campbell's Loose Tea. Oh, that's it's, a new one on me. It's, um, I think it's a very old-fashioned tea, that yellow tin. Yeah. Where did you find it? Um, there's a wonderful shop in Shoreditch near where I live called Lila's. Mm -hmm. And she has an extraordinary grocery shop. And it sort of looks very still or Edwardian. And she has things in tins and jars. And it's just oh, fabulous, you know. And uh, so she sells it. And I bought my loose teapot and I'm I just have to have a cup of tea first thing in the morning so do I I can't drink coffee first thing can you I don't, well I don't drink coffee it gives me heartburn <laughs> I've never been able to drink it it's, oh it, it hurts me um do you have milk and sugar in or I just do. milk and of course you've got to make it really well and that was actually living in Los Angeles and in America I know we all bitch about it it's, it's so true they do not know how to make a cup of tea in America still you get a you get a, a, a cup with hot water in yeah. and a tea a horrible yeah. tea bag on the yeah. side. <laughs> you want hot tea? Yes. Can we? Do you have a kettle? A, a, a teapot? A, a teapot? No. You want so you need to boil the water. Bubble boil the water. You put it with the tea, and it has a chemical effect in a way. You know, it's science. It's still. No, no, they don't. And no. the other thing they do when you go through that having to have it, we stayed in a hotel in Florida when I was working over there for a bit and they were so sweet. And in the end, they went and bought a, a plug-in kettle for yeah. us to have in the room. But they tried, because when I said it's got to be boiling water, they boiled the water in a coffee percolator. So oh, that, that makes it stink a coffee. Yeah, well, it tasted it was horrible. Yeah, it tasted coffee. I know, it's so... I feel awful going on about it when I'm there, just, but it is just a sort of art. And and then, of course, the china pot is important and the type of cup and everything, you know, yeah, so... That's very, very true. Very <laughs> hysterical. But so, I'm into Campbell's tea. I love it. It's loose tea and it's just delicious and um, I've got a nice pot of it now. So, as we mentioned, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, are you a running character in that? Because I've watched a couple of episodes that you've been in playing Irma. Because I've written it down, actually. Because it was such a Kostrowski, yeah. oh, God. I, yeah. Carly and I watched it together and got absolutely hysterical. <laughs> I've met, I've met Irma. <laughs> you met a lot of Irmas, Yeah. <laughs> I love that kind of American lady, though. I just yeah, very much. I've I had a friend. She's not with us anymore. Who was so much much like Irma. So <laughs> much, I mean, it was like oh my goodness. I know. When I first got to America, Twiggy, well, actually, the first time I met you was on my honeymoon in eighty three. Oh my god! Early eighty four, and you were doing my one and only on Broadway, That's and right. that was my. We got to New York with 
with Alan and he said I'm going to take you to see this Broadway show which was fantastic and you were in it obviously oh, and uh, then we came and met you yeah, afterwards I and he'd, you. you'd known each other from a few years ago and of course he knew Lee your husband so well yeah Lee, Alan knew Lee more than he knew me I think but yeah because um, I, I hadn't met Lee at that point I was still doing the show but I did know Alan from the old days in the 60s I did <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Alan loved Lee, but he said, I, we never took him out with us eventually because he was so good looking, he'd get all the birds. <laughs> so, <laughs> he so he went, you love Lee, want to go out with Lee? He said, but if you took him out, he'd just get all the birds. So we'd... Uh... <laughs> so they they dropped him. <laughs> they did a bit in the evenings. Just in the evenings. I think they had a lot, a lot of lunches, but not nightclubs because he'd get all the birds. So um, but they were hanging out with people like Terence Stamp and Michael Caine, you know, and they would all get all the birds, obviously. Uh, that's so So, funny. yeah, I remember meeting you on my honeymoon. That's amazing. And then I would come to New York at that time and I'd meet a, a wonderful lady called Katie Volk, who was worked for the record company I was with. And I remember her meeting me from the airport and she would just like talk, you know, when they talk like this really mm-hmm. fast. What do you want? You want to eat Vietnamese? You want to eat Thai? You want to eat Chinese? You want to eat Italian? You want to eat French? You're in New York. Anything you want, you're in New York. What do you want? What do you want? And she met me, you know, and she just bowled me over and she took me to see her parents on Long Island, Betty and Freddie. And uh, she said, when they, when you get there, they're going to go, welcome to Baldwin, welcome to Baldwin. And we got to the door and they went, welcome to Baldwin. And they were just, they were like this the whole time. They would had so much energy and I love you, I love you. And, you know, and then, the, you know, her dad was doing magic tricks and, and then they were saying, can you, I said, can you take a coin from behind my ear? And her sister Cindy went, he's not that advanced. And they just spoke like this all evening and they adored each other. But the way they spoke to each other in that sort of New York yeah. way just killed me to again. I just never forgot these people. And I think that sort of person got into my soul, you know, and I, I see little bits of it in Irma Kostrowski now because, you know, like you'd go be in New York and, and they, you'd see somebody fall on the pavement and you'd go, oh, look, someone's fallen. Don't get involved. <laughs> don't, don't get involved. Turn your jewelry in the city. You know those people, and it, I just, I just love those people. I just, they just in me. So, will you do? Will you be doing some more? Please. I don't know. I mean, it was four episodes, and I oh. loved it because you. It's just all improvised. But you know? don't you, don't you? I mean, you, me and Carly though. You're out. Do you, did you choose your what you wore? Because the outfit was brilliant. <laughs> I just, it was. <laughs> I like looking terrible. I guess. I mean, I, I have no vanity. You know, when you're sitting in front of Larry David and uh, watching that guy who's up for some election in government or something and he keeps talking and you keep turning him round to tell him to shut Shut up up. that little purple suit and oh god but i think what is different with her because you know los angeles very well and people think it's all show business all Mm. the time there and there are people in los angeles like irma kostrowski who's a city councillor and Mm. is a political person and isn't impressed by show business and I love people like that in LA because everyone's like all over the showbiz stuff. Yeah, but if you exactly. get somebody who doesn't really care, you know, who's into something else or the law or opera or, you know, art, I, I like that. And and so I wanted to be somebody in the show that wasn't just in awe of Larry's showbiz life and the big stuff and the parties and the celebrities. And so it was interesting to play somebody who didn't give a shit about that stuff, you know, so... 
Because when I turned around to him at that thing, you're saying and said, would you be quiet? You mid-level celebrities. You think you're so clever with your banter. You know, and to call him and Richard Lewis mid-level celebrities or to call, keep calling Larry a senior. You're a senior. You got to watch what you do. You could fall. You could have a fall. And he was like, you know, because he's so, he thinks he's such a sex pot on that show. He's always dating girls half his age, but he loved it. You know, it made him laugh. Did you, so. did you work with the writers on the script for Irma? I mean, did they present, say this is Irma, or did you go in and, and talk about how you kind of, like you're telling me? There's no script. So, oh, there is no script. No script. Oh, how brilliant. It's Jeff Schaefer, um, works with Larry and um, Jeff Garland, and they come up with these great storylines and great basic ideas and character yeah. ideas. So, you know, they give you this wonderful outline. And there are writers on the set when, if you're, when you're improvising could come in with something to help out. But that's, it's really up to you, a lot of it, which is lovely. That's why, that's why it works so well, because it, um, it's so, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's so real, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> even the smallest parts, you know, there's no, it's just a guideline of what's going to happen in that scene. Um, but they give you brilliant, you know, they, you just, it's just, that's, that's what I love doing. I love that. Yeah, it's the most natural way to work. I love it. When you're, because, I mean, gosh, in your shows, which you, 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 you've played everybody of every shape, size, colour. I mean, do you, do you start with the voice do you start with somebody you can remember do you start with dressing them in your head how did how did i mean because you're so brilliant at it i just well i've had uh i just love people i mean i just love it quirks of people i start with teeth weirdly <laughs> <laughs> the way the mouth is and where the voice comes from within the oh, how nose or the back of the throat or up here or where is that is it forward in the I sound so silly but you know I don't know I just want to be somebody and I've done it you know I've done so much stuff now and got the opportunity to do it I was really lucky um but it could be just a voice or an attitude or and teeth are important I mean I've had a lot of props in my career i did a lot of experimentation with makeup and wigs and teeth and they've been fun but ultimately you don't need all of that really it's weird oma kostrowski is just a wig um yeah. so i've gotten through that phase in a way but uh it's so much fun to totally immerse yourself in somebody else and to go shopping or something as as somebody else dress up and like when i was judy dench in <laughs> richmond when we were filming my bbc show I took lunch hour and I decided to go and look into the shops as Judy and people were just like oh we loved you in the Bond films oh did you darling they were marvellous there's marvellous filmmakers and you know people sometimes people look at the makeup and go oh that looks weird you don't see a bit of glue on her head and some people don't look at it at all <laughs> so I did I went shopping in Margaret Howell as Judy Dench and that was just so much fun because the two people in the shop really believed I was Judy Dench and I just got such a kick out of it. That's amazing. And the, the things that I was doing on the show as Judy Dench, our thing was that she was a national treasure right. as who could get away with anything, shoplifting, <laughs> anything, right. because then they'd go, you just scratched my car. Oh, you're Judy Dench. That's all right. You know, so <laughs> I, it was just fun. And then Ju the Judy Dench called <laughs> wrote to me and said 
I've been having a problem in Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> she said the store manager said to her, I'm watching you. <laughs> like he was really going to steal stuff. And so I felt, felt a bit bad. So I, um, I know. So I, I sent to uh, Judy a big, 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 big thank you for letting me sort of just steal her persona and, and you know, use it on my show. And I sent her a nice present. I sent her some nice pottery. And she said, I got the presents and the pottery I swiftly smashed. <laughs> like pretending she was being naughty. <laughs> but she was such a good sport about it. Oh, well, she is. Oh, she's... Did you check with her before you did it? No. Oh. <laughs> well, well, how would I have called Judy and said, Judy, I'm going to have portray you as a kleptomaniac. <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't have gone down that well. <laughs> when you were a little girl, did you did you impersonate people as a kid? I mean, is it something that you have always been able to do? I love it. Yeah, I, I read in your bio you start, you went to Italia Conti at school, didn't you? And yeah. and you did big musicals, and you had a big record career. So. Was the impersonation, was it always there within you and something you wanted to do? Yeah, yeah, I would, uh, but never famous people years ago. It was always, when I was a kid, you know, it was impersonating my family and my teachers. And um, I, I often talk about it, but a lady that lived opposite us in my village called Annie Cox, who was a very dear lady who used to walk the dogs and she'd lost her fiance in the first world war and was just all the the type you don't really really see anymore a village lady and she didn't have any electricity in her house and she was very good at mathematics and uh, talking about flowers and she just killed me twiggy she was so wonderful you know what i mean and i used to want to be her and i would put on shows for my mum, and i'd say and now Annie Cox would like to visit, you know, and I would put on Wellington boots and a woolen hat and be Annie Cox in my mum's bedroom and it would make her cry. You know, I do that. That's what sort of things I wanted to do. I wanted to be in documentaries. You remember Kathy Come Home and those yeah. Ken Loach films. Yeah, very and much. Remember Patricia Hayes in Edna the Inebriate Woman? Yeah. It was so brilliant. It was almost like a documentary. Um, and I used to sit for ages looking in the mirror pretending I was in a documentary you know just talking about well you know my husband's in prison now and it's really hard with the kids and I've got my council flat I've got fungus growing up the wall and they don't listen and I would like <laughs> pretend to be swag just just stuff like that for hours and my mother would say things like go to bed stop <laughs> pretending to be in a documentary shut up and go to bed <laughs> and seeing Carol White, you know, in Kathy Come Home. Do you remember that scene at Waterloo oh Station? My God, of course, I. When do. they took it's away one... the kids from yeah. her, and she yeah. was amazing. And the two kids in that scene, where they thought they were being taken from their mother, were her own sons. I know. I and know. I met them later in life. They were living in Los Angeles. One of Lee's best friends was Mike King, who was the dad. Um, did you know Mike? I knew Mike very well, yeah. Yeah, lovely, sweet man. He was one of the King brothers. I know. Who were huge. Oh, I know. 
standing on the corner watching all the girls watch they did a version of that and i met them they did my built my deck in la and i was so fascinated it was them and i said wow when you were little boys what was it like doing that scene and they said they didn't know that it was acting. They thought we really were being taken away from their mum. Oh, that's a bit terrible. I know, that's a bit terrible. <laughs> so, but it was stuff like that used to really get me when I was yeah. a kid. And I think, wow. And then I think, why do I want to act? I could never do anything as brilliant as this. And like Seven Up, which has now become 65 oh, yeah. Up. It's um, I've watched it? those every seven years. Yeah, me too. And there's nothing more brilliant to me than watching them talk about life and the different the class system in this country fascinates me yeah but that's why you're so brilliant at these characters because of you're so intrigued by these guys i mean what there's i mean i i love all your shows but there's that one where you're a mother and father and the child's going off to boarding school yeah that was with michael palin a class act yeah yeah that yeah. really that really was heart-wrenching <laughs> and then the other one as you know i've told you this before but it makes me absolutely hysterical i can't remember which of your shows it was in when you're part of a duo dance act and you're in the wings <laughs> waiting to go you. on to a live show <laughs> and you whisper to him but we can hear that you and you're in a quite a short um, frilly dance skirt and you you say I've, I've forgotten me knickers or something yeah and you no go on and do on. this dance routine but you have to be careful not to show anything <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely you hysterical. love that do you know you used to love that god god rest his soul love johnny gold remember road tramp oh, he, went, he loved yeah. that he said cry over that that was a true story when i was a dancer i did i was in blackpool in the les dawson show and uh Oh, I loved him. He was wonderful. Oh, so he told I. me to not be a dancer and try and be a comedian or actor. Oh, how um, interesting. And I did. I came in from the beach. And you know when you're a dancer, you put your stockings on and then you put panties over the top. Yeah. And I didn't put my panties over the top. <laughs> and I remember having to say to my partner, Reese, lovely Reese Nelson, I said, oh, I've got no knickers on. I've got the knickers on. And it was like that. And the music was da, 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 da. Remember the Burt Campford? Da, 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 da. And I remember singing, I've got no knickers on. Don't twirl me in the air. And he's like, what? La, da, 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 da. And, he, and he did at the end. And I was just like, remember trying to clutch my pants. So there you go. It was, a, it was based on a true story. It was, it's still one of the funniest things I've you ever like seen. You like that, didn't you? I'm going to make you laugh I'll be on YouTube somewhere. Everything's on YouTube. I'm a dinosaur. I look at all this stuff. You go, oh, my goodness. And stuff that you did and you think that I hated at times. I think, yeah, that had a point. And some stuff I thought was so clever is just like, oh, no. <laughs> but before, before, you know, this huge success with all your shows and winning all the awards. I mean, how many Emmys have you got? You've got so, I, I saw some in your TV room last week. How many? You've, you've um, won so many Emmys. Seven. Quite rightly. Seven. seven you can make nice. a crown. But like with writing and, you know, uh, guest appearances. No, that was lovely. It was nice to have those. But before all that and your shows, you had you had quite a few big hit records, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I had a bit of a singing career. I mean, I'm not really, honestly, I'm not really a singer. I I'm tuneful. But it was part of a sort of character, I think. I mean, I remember 
doing three of a kind in England in, in the BBC shows in the early 80s, I was sort of like for six months, maybe one of the it girls or something. Yeah. And I, I remember just meeting somebody at my hairdressers who was married to the guy that ran Stiff Records. And I loved Stiff Records because it was Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and Lena Lovitch. Oh, yeah. And it was a very cool label. And she said, do you want to come talk to my husband? And I remember they had a T-shirt that had on the front, if it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a... Obviously, I'm, I'm trying to be discreet here. And I, I said, if I can, can I get one of those T-shirts? Which I still have, by the way. And when I'm... I'll still wear it around the supermarket if I'm feeling rebellious. And people still look at it and go, that's shocking, that's disgusting, that is, that you would wear that in a budging on a Tuesday morning. I think it's disgusting. And I go, well, that's life, isn't it? I'm still a punk rocker. And I thought it was great, the T-shirt. So I went to see them at Stiff and uh, I met an amazing lady called Kirsty McCall who Aww. sadly died uh, yeah. a few years ago. And that was why it was so good, because she let me sing her songs, Twiggy. You're only as good as the songs you get to sing. Like, well, yeah, well yeah. See, it was, she was amazing. The song is important, but you, you, I mean, you have got a great voice, I think. Well, in the studio, like, I can't sing live. You sung live. You've got an amazing voice. I, I did a studio sort of thing. I overdubbed myself. I sounded like Minnie Mouse on Helium a lot of the time. <laughs> They used to speed me up. I made my reservation. I'm leaving town tomorrow. I found somebody new and there'll be no more sorrow. <laughs> it was like, that was St uh, Dave's theory at Stiff, <laughs> that you had to make them sound good on the radio. And they had to be really fast. So he would yeah. just oh, amp them up. Think, would he speed them up? Yeah. Oh, he sped everything. Oh, it's not going to fit our radio one's playlist. I'll tell you what, we'll just speed it up a little bit. And then you'd go, ah. I sound like Minnie Mouse. Yeah, it sounds great. And that'd be it. <laughs> but I did love, I loved it. But I never sang live, like you. I sang into my hairbrush. Right? It was just all a bit of a gag, you know. Oh, it was brilliant. One of those songs you did was a big hit in America yeah, as well. Yeah, They was Don't it? Know, which is because yeah. it was yeah. such a beautiful song. And I had a little cameo by Paul McCartney in the video, which attracted a lot of attention. Um, I bet. And yeah, he was so good. I just showed up at his office, Twiggy, <laughs> when they got like ragtag video crew. And I just sort of, because he was nice to me and I'd been in a little bit in his film, I went, Paul, would you come downstairs and be in my music video? And he went, uh, I don't know about that, Trace. I said, I've got a Robin Reliant downstairs. And he went, uh, all right, I've always wanted to drive one of those. <laughs> So I said, come downstairs, Paul. Because he'd mentioned to me when I worked with it, he'd always wanted to drive a Robin Reliant. Oh, that's so funny. So he, he was intrigued, and that's how I got him to do it, quite honestly. You're very brave. That's <laughs> amazing. That is so funny. So, yeah, that, that was really it. Kirsty McCall's music and having Paul McCartney in your video really helps, guys. After that was when you went to America and started... Did you do your shows in America first or here? I've had the craziest career, if you look back on it. I mean, I was a dancer, and then I did theatre, then I did the comedy show with Lenny, then I did the, the records, and then I was put in a movie with Meryl Streep, so that looked very legit, a, dr a drama, a David Head drama. So Was that plenty? Yeah, and then I went to... America and pub and I was an MTV VJ for a while. I was a video jockey. I was terrible. <laughs> I'd say things like, Huey Lewis is going to be in Arkansas this weekend. And he'd go, you know, I couldn't even say Arkansas. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't good at doing that. 
because I'm not good at being me. So I did that and then, you know, I saw I'd done very varied things. And then an amazing guy called James L. Brooks in America. How did you meet him? Well, I had an agent at that time and, you know, the agent said, OK, let's start at the very top and we'll see who's intrigued by you or might help you. And she said, there's a guy called James L. Brooks who did the Mary Tyler Moore show and Taxi and just on terms of endearment and uh, go see him. And we'll, he, he, he said he'll meet with you. And he did. And he just he just was amazing. And I was I was pregnant, actually, with Mabel. And he said, look, have your baby and then we will do a show together at this new network called Fox on the Fox, you know, channel. Yeah. And he said, just take your time. And he said, become more American to do an American show. He said, don't yeah. lose who you are. I said, because you're going to do everything. He said, and he said, go to the American Broadcast Museum in New York. And I want you to go every day and I want you to watch things so you get a grounding in being an American. Go watch news programs, comedy shows, documentaries, uh, you know, go. And, and it was such a brilliant thing to tell me to do that. And I used to sit there every day, Twiggy, and I'd watch your show of shows from the 50s, you know, with Sid Caesar and Imogene Coker that had been written by Neil Simon and Woody Allen and, mm -hmm. you know, Larry Gelbart and all those things. Larry Gelbart who wrote, you know, MASH. And I began to see correlations with English TV, like I saw Ernie Kovacs was very much like Benny Hill. You saw how we took from each other, you know, English TV shows like How Three's Company came from Man About the House and how things had gone, you know, and Septo and Son had gone on to become Sanford and Son in America. That's and right. you could see we always were, were taking each other's ideas. But, you know, I watched lots of news stuff and, and, and it really helped, you know. But I did notice there had been a lot more women in America that had been on TV being funny before we had them in England, like Lucille Ball, obviously, and Carol Burnett, Imogene Coker. And I thought, wow, they and then Gilda Radner on Saturday Night Live. And I thought, yeah, we got they got going over there a bit earlier with women and, you know, women in reading the news and things like yeah. that as well. So anyway, I, I did get a good grounding in America because I didn't, I got that. I didn't, we didn't work for two years because I was having Mabel and I, so I really, and of course I married a man who lived in America. So I didn't just visit for three weeks and see an agent and say, I'll get some promises. I really immersed myself in an American lifestyle. Did Alan live in America before he met you? Alan had moved to New York in the 70s. He always came, you know, to and from England. And then and then he bought a funny little blue house in Lookout Mountain. That was Steven Spielberg's little house where he'd written Jaws. So he wow. bought this little house from Steven Spielberg. It wasn't a glamorous house. Um, when we were down on our luck, Alan would say, I oh, know what, we'll float a shark in the pool and we'll make some money <laughs> off it. Um, so he had this very cool little house. And he was such a bachelor, Twiggy. And he used to have parties with Robin Williams and Peter Cook and Harry Nielsen, all the sort of famous alcoholic, crazy <laughs> drug people, and had the best time. And then he met me. And as my best man, Ian Lafrenet, said, Tracy stopped him drinking, drugging, and, and womanizing. She said, basically, she destroyed his life. <laughs> but. I didn't. I think oh, I made. I made his life. He, Come on, he was ready to give it all did. up. You did, and also you 
you know, he absolutely loved and adored you. And together, you, I mean, you did those shows together, didn't you? You After co-produced After I did the them. shows with Jim, Jim Brooks really started me off and, and just was incredible to me. You know, I'm so grateful to him and I learned so much. And as you know, The Simpsons came from I was just gonna the say, Tracy Ullman how show. How did that happen? Did somebody come and say, we've got this idea for a... Um, a, you know, a cartoon series. Will you? It I mean, was how did it happen? Handed about that we'd like bumpers within the show to sort yeah. of you know end things, and then Heidi Perlman, one of the writers, I remember her mentioning Matt Groening's, Groening's Life in Hell, which was a book that I'd seen on Melrose Avenue, and I had that book too. And I said, yeah, it's really different. And I guess they brought him in for a meeting, and I remember him coming in. We all sat around, and he said, I don't want to do anything I've done before obviously you know so uh, that was good and he said and I've he had bought a drawing out of Marge he said I want to do this family and, and I remember seeing that enormous beehive of blue hair brilliant and I thought wow it's amazing and then uh, they started to record the Simpsons shorts that started on my show um, and they would come to the sound booth when we were rec- when we were rehearsing and uh I was too busy to do a voice all the time because I was always, you know, it was the Tracy Ollman show. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, so I remember them saying to Julie, would you do a voice? Julie Kavner, who was in my show, um, would you like to do one of the voices? Sure. I'll do it. And that she became Marge. I remember Julie doing Marge because Julie had this voice, right? And... Dan Castellaneta, they said, oh, gosh. would you? Oh, <laughs> Dan Castellaneta, everybody, Carly, <laughs> Twiggy's daughter had such a crush on him when she was a little girl. She um, was, what, 12? Yeah, and she was she obsessed was, she with... Wa- that's why she wanted to meet me. She wanted to meet Dan. Anyway, and I remember Dan going and being Homer and that, and then The Simpsons began, and it was Amazing. just wonderful. She used to make... You told us where he lived so that I could drive Carly by, <laughs> and she'd look. she'd looked out... Because his house was then was down in below the kind of uh, road, like it was like down a little slope. Yeah. So we used to park canyon, the car, yeah. and she could look at his roof. Ah, <laughs> oh, she just, but she was. So... And then you very sweetly arranged for us to come. He was doing like a a, a kind of stand up thing, and you arranged yeah, a table. Yeah, with his wife Deb, and we went to that place in Santa yeah, Monica. And yeah, we, she was and such it a was fan. A surprise, and Carlos, yeah, I thought yeah. she was gonna pass out with oh, happiness <laughs> i love your carly yeah so, so um yeah so i remember that all starting and and then uh, the next shows i did when i went to hbo then i worked with alan pretty much you know for the rest of the time and we always had some ideas and he had enormous enthusiasm and would get me going and you know he, he was, was such a good one producer of, one of the funniest people i've ever oh, met he used God, to make funny. me laugh did he make you laugh oh my god Twiggy. He, I mean, so Alan's hila- he was hilarious i just miss it so much there's no yeah. i'm not funny compared to i mean the kids ever want to go is your mom really funny they go no our dad is <laughs> um you know how he was just a lovely london he fella he could tell a story and he was brave and confident and glamorous and just he was just brilliant and he made my life and my life began when I met Alan McEwen oh, and that's lovely. I'm just so lucky I met him well you you had many many years together we I'm did. happy to say we did yeah and you've got two gorgeous kids 
that are him. Grown up. On the, yeah. on he goes. You know, I see. That's right. And now I see Alan in my grandson. I say, you know. I, yeah, because I, I, I see bits of me in my granddaughter. You didn't meet my granddaughter yet, but you will. Mm. And I see Carly in in little Theo, who you did meet. <laughs> oh, he's fabulous. What Isn't a cool it? guy. They're so he played with my salad spinner listeners for a good hour and a half. <laughs> if you want to know what to do with a two two year old, it's very easy. A salad spinner. Plastic. <laughs> and then when they get a bit older, I think this is an American thing, a swiffer. You know those things where you just put like a stick, it's a cleaning stick. You put like a <laughs> bit of, you know, like a J cloth on the end of it, and you just get them cleaning. Oh, brilliant. It's cheap and it keeps them amused. So forget all the expensive toys. Yeah, oh, they got that, that stuff. <laughs> get, get them cleaning. Keep them useful. The salad spinner, I tell you, they just I work. know. He, he, well, he played with that for he about an hour it. and a half. Absolutely hysterical. <laughs> yes, we do see them in going on, you know, that you never lose them. You know, Alan is within us all, and uh, well, apart from me. Um, yeah, and I just see, see him and it's... It's tough, but boy, I'm lucky I had him. And are you enjoying kind of relocating most of the time back in England now? Probably because you can be near them, right? Yeah, this period of my life, it's good to be near Mabel, really. I mean, the grandsons, it's fabulous. But I love, you know, I'm so lucky I, I'm an American and I love my American life too. And um, that's, you know, a huge part of my life is there. Um, yeah. and well, we've both been very lucky in that that respect that we both have had well you certainly on a much huger scale than me but we've had a life and a career in america and in hmm. in england and europe who would have thought it we both came, we funk it? Came, I'm from, we came from I'm, nothing i'm from nice and you're from slough <laughs> i know and that's what's exciting about it as well isn't it you know i didn't think i'd do anything you know i just I thought I was, I know. you know, going to impersonate Annie Cox in my mum's bedroom. To think I've grown up and made a living out of it. It's made kind of, a, ver a very well, good you know, living out of it. I've been lucky. Did you ever, I, I know you did stage right at the, you were in Greece, weren't you? Didn't I read? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's been in Greece. Amazing <laughs> <I> you <haven't>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was in a production of Greece in, I think, did, 79. Do you ever have a longing to do more theatre or... Not really. No, you know, I, I did a lot of theatre in my early 20s and the, my breakthrough thing was actually a play at the Royal Court that was improvised, yet again, called Four in a Million with Les Blair years and years oh, ago. Right. Um, and that's where I did a play at the Royal Court upstairs and Lenny Henry and Paul Jackson came to see me in that play and said, would you like to do a sketch show at the BBC? And I said, oh, I can't do comedy. I I'm not blonde and I don't have big breasts and I haven't been on the Benny Hill show. <laughs> you know, I said, girls in comedy, you kidding me? They don't do anything. And they went, oh, you will on this show. And, you know, that was Lenny. I just, I loved Lenny and we had a great time together, you know, and David Copperfield was great fun too. We just had a, a very cool moment there. Um, but no, I don't like doing eight shows a week. I'll be honest. It's yeah, it's You've hard. done it. You did it for nearly a year with my one I'd, and only. Oh, I did it for nearly two years. About, it was about 18 did months you? in all, yeah. How did you do it, Twigs? Um, I, just, I loved it, actually. I did loved you? It. Yeah, I loved it. I'd had enough at the end because I was tired. You get quite tired eight shows a week, but I did love it. There's nothing quite like... If you're in a, a hit show, which I'm happy to say it was, yeah, that when you go out and you get that 
feeling back from the audience it is mm. the most amazing feeling. and a new york audience they really they want They're to the stand best. up and cheer and they love you and yeah if they don't like you they let you know but if they like you they make it very apparent no you were in um, a wonderful hit show but even so to do something continuously i'm such a spontaneous person i guess and eclectic and if i do something over and over and over again it becomes a noise to me and i can't i don't know i can't oh, that's interesting. i did a one woman show like dressed in a lot of makeup in yeah. i tried it out in miami it's a stupid place to try things out because you know a lot of people the first couple of weeks you get good audiences and then they they go down there to die and they make them go to the theater that was my theory so you get a lot of like <laughs> a lot of hearing aids going off and i can't i can't hear what is, what is she saying speak up darling we can't hear you they start they talking to you. Yeah, they start talking to you. And you think, oh, for so... God's sake. They do talk in America. They well, talk. We went to see a play in New York, oh, God, about 10 years ago. And we had a couple behind us. And he'd seen it before. Mm. And she hadn't. And he kept telling her what... Now, in the next scene... Oh, I, can't, I can't do the accents like you, but he was explaining to her what the next scene was going to be. And we had to turn around in mm. the end and say, mm. do you mind terribly politely do you mind them um, not speaking but i remember the one some people coming backstage this play i was doing on my own covered in makeup it was exhausting and they came backstage this woman and, and the guy had a leisure suit on the older husband and you know those glasses that they wear that go around the sides of their heads that look uh -huh. like they're going to do some spot welding but they're to protect them against ultraviolet you know so they were oh, yeah. they were seniors and she said darling i have to tell you this is not your vehicle. <laughs> and then she got him in his flipping leisure suit. Now, Mari, Mari, listen to me. We're going to take some photographs. And I thought, you unbelievable. You know, it's that what, It's that personality again. It's your Irma Kostrowski. It's that saying. Is, and you know what? She was bloody right. It was not my vehicle. But after, you know, I'd done eight shows on my own that week, I thought, whoa, that's brutal. Yeah, um, it can. I don't know. I would love to be in a wonderful ensemble cast, you know, oh, heaven forbid, the National will ever ask me to do something. I would love it. And to be with a group of people, I guess I, I've been in things, so I've been on my own. It gets a bit lonely. I mean, being in that wonderful musical you were in, I mean, to have a cast around you must be lovely. But the repetition of things is a bit difficult for me. Well, we could go on talking like this all day long, but I'm sure. Oh, uh, well, sure it's lovely got... to talk to you. You're a great girl, you know. <laughs> she is. So Alan always said that. You go, Twiggy's coming up. Oh, she's a great girl, that Twiggy. Oh, that's She's a lovely she... girl, that Twiggy. Oh, I love her. And you're like, he used to say about me, he goes, she, she's a nice little learner. Hey, you and Twigs, nice little learners. He'd say stuff like that. He never lost that kind of, you know, London stuff. But you know it was you who taught me into going back to doing a bit of modelling. Because I... It was. Good. When In the early 90s, I got that call from Italian Vogue. And, yeah. And I Stephen think myself. I mentioned it. And I said, well, I don't really do that anymore. And I'm older. And you said, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. I'm going to tell a story. You'd done this terrific series in LN you're waiting to do fight then it got cancelled and you're yeah. waiting to do more and you used to play tennis a lot and you had this brilliant house in LA and I'd go and visit you and I loved having you there because I got to be good friends with you and the kids got good to be good friends and Lee I loved it you had a dinner party once you sat me next to Billy Connolly Bruce 
Robertson and Lee. I laughed so hard. I'll be really honest, Twig. I don't know if you noticed when we went home that night, I wet the seat. <laughs> it was the fun. And my Alan made me laugh. But having those three around me, Bruce well. Robertson, who wrote with Nail and I, listeners, yeah. I laughed so hard. And I love a laugh. And I was in agony my ribs anyway i remember being at your house one day and you had things going on and you're interested and then you got a call from calvin klein and he said to you twiggy i want you to come out the last model on the runway i think he said literally just the sort of dream things like you know you, you you're going to wear the best outfit you have the best makeup artist you got i'm going to give you this amount of money which was fantastic the private jet's coming for you and i remember hearing all this on a speakerphone i remember you going no, I don't, I don't really do that anymore. <laughs> and I was literally like your mate behind you going, what are you talking about? This is my, what, are you, what else are you going to do? You're going to play fucking tennis this week. Tweet, you've got to go. And you went, I don't do that really anymore. But thanks so much. You were so nice. I thought, she's mad. This sounds like an absolute dream. <laughs> and I remember saying, you, come on, you've got to do this. And then, then the Italian I don't know if you felt happened. you were, what did you think you were old or irrelevant? What did you, I mean, you've always, you're completely classic. No, number one, I'd, I'd never done catwalk. In the 60s, I just did photographic mode. I was, oh, was too it small for catwalk. Was it was, was yeah. It was you just, you, just you being there And was it was enough. that I you're was complete. older and you get a bit embarrassed about. But it was you who actually taught me into kind of thinking I about think doing it. I think it's a great so part when, of you. And, you know, well, it's thank a great. You. And you're, you're amazing. So few people can look like you do in a photograph well. and you have a great attitude and spirit. I mean, it's amazing, Twigs. <laughs> thank you. Do you want to be my agent? <laughs> You know what? Another thing, listeners. She always says, I have to do my own eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go, all these big fancy makeup artists, I had to, I, they did made me out. I had to go into the toilet and take it all off and do my own eyes. <laughs> and you are good at doing your own eyes. Well, because in the <laughs> 60s, when I actually did model every day, they didn't have makeup artists. Really? No. The first person who actually did make me, I mean, actually, she did do my eyes quite well was Barbara Daly and that was oh, yeah. late 60s early 70s but when I started in 66 all the girls did their own makeup did they it was always great hairstylists because that was the whole thing wasn't it in London with us when Alan met you I think did he do your hair for a session he used to do Jean Shrimpton a lot no, Alan I, don't I think, think so. I think he'd met you at a session or knew I someone had that, that had done very your hair. short little haircut which was part of yeah. what launched me into whatever it launched me into. But no, they didn't. So we, if you got a booking, you had to turn up at the studio at 8.30, made up, ready to go. So you were doing all those lashes and drawing on those lines yeah. on your eyes? And that you used did to all take that? me an hour and a half. So I used to get up wow, very early. Wow. But it's like filming, isn't it? You get up early, so... Coming in from Neesden. I love pictures of you as a. I love pictures of Twiggy as a little kid. It's all in black and white, guys, and it's like her next to cement mixers and things going, Oh, we had such a lovely holiday. <laughs> Just a regular girl. Oh, look at that. Oh, we love playing on that bomb site. Oh, look at that in the background. <laughs> you're just from such humble origins and oh, you're so. Dear. Oh, it's so funny, isn't it? Well, I, as I say, I could go on doing this all day long, but I'm sure. Well, I'm oh, you've got thrilled to talk to you. My tea's gone cold. Poor Kobe's gonna. Poor he's Kobe. Gonna... No, he's he's, he's putting Kobe. his hands up now. <laughs> we, <laughs> we will press his mute button. He won't be able to stop us. <laughs> Kobe, you you've been fantastic. Actually, he's he's a good bloke. As Alan would say, Kobe's a BGB, bloody good bloke. Oh, he BGB. set it all up really well for a cut. 
couple of older birds to chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank thank you for joining me on my podcast. Oh, I loved it. And um, and Carly said, "Can we see you again soon, please?" Oh, she Carly's said it was the best hit. time. Carly's hilarious. Carly's mad, but in a wonderful, wonderful way. Carly's bonkers like me. Oh, we bonkers, just love yeah. yeah. I think that's why you hit it oh, off. Oh, always. <laughs> Well, it's lovely to talk to you. And you. I love you lots. And we'll love see you, you very soon. Yes, very, very soon. Lovely. Bye, Take baby. Take care. Have a lovely day. I will, Twix. I'll talk to you soon. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I made so much noise laughing on this podcast, but Tracy truly makes me laugh like that. All the She's absolutely brilliant. I knew a lot of those stories, but there were a lot I didn't know. She's also one of the sweetest, kindest ladies around, and um, I hope you enjoyed that and had as good a laugh as I did. It does cheer you up on a winter day to talk to the beautiful, lovely Tracy Orman. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. You just heard a stripped media production. <laughs>